friends, welcome back to the Ideal Nutrition Podcast. I am Aidan Muir and I'm here with my co-host Leah Heigl and this is episode 24. Today we are going to be talking or sharing our thoughts on the non-diet approach and health at every size. This is a bit of a complex topic. This is a, a topic where I feel like both of us see good aspects from both approach and it's a bit of a thing where people tend to sit pretty strongly in either camp. And the further you go in either direction, the less of the good stuff you see from the other camp, basically. Um, Jumping into it and defining what is the non-diet approach, it is a pretty broad topic. So the non-diet approach and Hayes, at their core, are just weight-neutral approaches to health. I don't know if... Would you have a better definition than that? I think, yeah, it's just a weight-neutral approach, so it's treating someone regard like the same regardless of what body size they're in yeah and you can improve health without focusing on weight there's a lot of ways you can do that um so it is an appealing message but as i was kind of saying earlier i feel like if you go too far in one direction um it can cause issues and some proponents can take this concept too far as well um to the point that it could arguably be detrimental but there is a lot of good aspects to go through there. Leading into, what are some of these good aspects? We're going to start on a positive note because I feel like there are there are so many good aspects to the haze or non-diet approach. So the first part of that is that when we're looking at statistics for weight loss and weight loss maintenance, they're pretty they're pretty grim. Yeah, like they're real not grim. <laughs> they're not <laughs> like people just don't maintain the weight loss most of the time. So I think most people, like 95% of people within a five-year period post-weight loss regain their weight. So that's only 5% of people succeeding in that weight loss yeah. area. I, I wouldn't put it as like strict a number on it. Like the, the 95% number is shared a lot, but like I wouldn't go that strict on it. I Like I, I would say somewhere between 80 and 95%. And it doesn't necessarily matter because yeah. whichever angle we look at it, that's grim. Like that's It's definitely the majority rather yeah. than the minority. And particularly when you factor in that there is like a mental burden associated with dieting and every time you do it. And if the chances, like if we were going worst case scenario and say like 95%, if there was a 95% chance when you start dieting, you're going to regain it. It's a, it's a savage thing to go through basically. Yeah, so if you know that maybe dieting is not going to be super successful for someone long term, it's also going to be really hard to do. It's maybe going to affect their quality of life. For that individual, I think it makes a lot of sense to take a a weight neutral approach and focus on everything else you can do from a health perspective that isn't just so focused on this like one aspect of their, like that full person. Yeah, exactly. And like, it was something like I posted this on Instagram earlier, but it's kind of like, if somebody is so focused on the weight aspect they could miss a lot of other easy wins that they could get by focusing just on as an example what would i do if i was at a healthy bmi how would i treat this condition health situation whatever differently um there are a lot of positive ways you can look at that and positive outcomes to get too Yeah. And when it comes to weight loss as well, I do recognize that, like, I love the saying that you have in terms of it being a contact sport. Yeah. I'm stealing that from vitamin PhD. So it's not my saying. Yeah. So Gabrielle (laughs) Fondaro, I'm stealing from her, but dieting is a contact sport. It comes with risks, even when done well. Yeah. Yeah. So I know I work with a lot of people who have developed 
unhealthy relationships with food, disordered eating patterns, full-blown eating disorders from trying to, they've been in bigger bodies and they're just consistently trying to lose weight because that's what the health professionals around them are are telling them to do, not offering them anything else. So they're just in this cycle of disordered eating and also not losing their weight. So their quality of life isn't good and their health is often worse than if they didn't try to lose weight at all. So from that aspect, I also think haze can be a good approach for those people. Yeah. And like, this is just something that popped into my mind, but it's like, say you're aiming, say you don't have a large calorie budget to start off with and you're aiming for a decent sized calorie deficit and then you're on low calories and you're trying to implement all these like flexible dieting concepts and stuff like that, but you just don't have a large calorie budget to start off with because you're aiming for low calories. Like you can only be so flexible. Like that is going to feel restrictive no matter how you look at it to start off with. Um, And once again, what if you're aiming for that? You're aiming for this restriction, but you're also not always achieving it as well you kind of get the worst of both worlds. Like you're not spending any time like focusing on these health improving outcomes and stuff like that necessarily. And you're spending time aiming for restriction as well. So Fiona Willer is um, a researcher that is very much in this space. Like I see her as kind of kind of leading the charge in Australia for yeah. this particular approach. That's just kind of what I've seen. Um, and she said something really great on another podcast um, about putting the individual at the center of your treatment which we should all be doing anyway like always Um, but I think sometimes in this case we don't like that particular person should have all the information they need to make a decision on their own health but usually when someone goes to see a health professional and they are in a larger body particularly if they are also metabolically not that healthy at the time the only thing that is offered to them is weight loss there's no other approach offered to them where something like improving dietary quality in a weight neutral way increasing exercise and all that stuff it's an option it could still improve their health and their quality of life but they're just not being offered it yeah 100 percent. yeah and we might touch on that a little bit more later but it, it like i heard her say something along those lines i heard it like two years ago it stuck with me ever since just being like it is all, obviously we know it's always the client's choice but like i'd never really thought about that clearly being like they should know that the weight neutral approach exists and they should have all the information about that ideally in a perfect world should have a good understanding of weight loss focused approaches or weight centric focused approaches and weight neutral approaches or also a common like the good from each camp kind of approach as well um they should have all that information and then make their own decision obviously whereas it we we can guide clients pretty comfortably towards whatever we would like if somebody has a weight loss bias they can often guide people towards that if somebody has a weight neutral bias if they pitch in the right way they can often guide their the patient towards it or the client towards it so it is interesting that's like in a perfect world they're not guided by any bias and they just choose whatever they think is best for them and i mean people usually come to you for a solution that you think is best as well so if you are too far in one camp or the other and you have that strong bias it's the only thing you're offering then of course that person is going to do what you say yeah for sure so i suppose we've we've tried talking through some of the positive things i i actually feel like we haven't fully done it justice because there is yeah there are so many i think Talking about weight stigma in general yeah. and body acceptance is such a big part of this. I know yeah. for you and me, we don't talk a lot about body image because it's not something we, I guess, personally struggle with a ton. So it's not something that, that comes up a yeah. lot, but it's a huge part of this discussion. Yeah. Let's actually briefly do some weight stigma stuff. Like one thing that I often find very, very relevant is that people who are in larger bodies, if they feel like they've been judged by a health professional that they have gone to see, they're less likely to come back. 
That is a very, very, very common story. And that in turn makes on average people who are in larger bodies less likely to seek medical help. And it makes them on average wait until conditions progress further (laughs) to seek medical help, which then leads to worse outcomes overall. So simply due to having a higher BMI, on average people are going to get worse medical care due to that aspect of weight stigma before we even factor in the stuff we kind of talked about being like, say a health professional has a 20-minute consult with a client and they only have 20 minutes to go through what they think is going to help the client the most and they spend most of it talking about weight loss because they think that's going to help the client the most because it could help in a lot of cases. But once again, what if the statistics are showing that 95% of people are going to lose weight, regain it over five years or whatever? Um, What if for that individual the weight loss is actually not going to happen or the weight loss maintenance is not going to happen. What other aspects of care could have been focused on in that 20-minute session that could have helped them more? Um, in some cases, they might be getting worse care because of that. How many times could somebody who had a BMI of 20 gotten medication straight away that somebody who was at a BMI of 40 would have been told to lose weight? And that's an even more complex question because it's kind of like... <sighs> Doctors want to focus on lifestyle changes first. Like that's also a good message. It's always like, yes. not, let's not just give medications first. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's like if somebody had a BMI of 20, they would, they would get the medication. Um, whereas somebody who has a larger BMI might get that far later on in the process because of all these things. There's so many aspects and there's no right or wrong answer with that because it's a complex topic, but it's something to think about. It's super complex. And I think something that I always think of is also the people that go into the doctor's office and they're in a larger body, but they're also metabolically healthy like there's nothing that has come up yet to say that i don't know they necessarily need to lose weight yet they're still always pushed in that well often usually pushed in that direction and i'm like i don't know there's nothing that comes up on paper for that person sure they're they're at a bit of a higher risk of of some of those things um and maybe a higher frequency of screening that person is going to be ideal but jumping straight to yeah yeah you need to lose weight i'm going to send you to a dietitian to do that yeah it's very confronting and it's it's a lot 100 percent. like i even heard a story today from somebody who was like yeah i had a rash on my arm went to see a doctor he told me to lose weight yeah <laughs> it's like that was unrelated like that was and then that feeds into the whole are they going to be less likely to see a doctor when they've got a rash in the future because i just don't want to hear it they're just done with it yeah all right so i, I guess we'll go into the next kind of aspect which is talking about why we, I say we, but I'm just going to start with me. Like, why am I personally not a non-diet dietitian? And why don't I take a weight-neutral approach with everybody, for example? Um, one of these aspects is that body composition, as in how much muscle and how much fat we have, and health are not completely separate topics. As I was kind of talking about just one example, but like in the previous podcast, insulin resistance The more body fat we have, typically the more insulin resistant we get in comparison to ourselves and our own baseline. Obviously, there's individual variation between people, but typically the more body fat you have, the more insulin resistant you become on average. Obviously, complex topic. It's a risk factor for higher cholesterol. It's a risk factor for higher blood pressure. Typically, somebody with high cholesterol or blood pressure or whatever, on average, if they lose 5% to 10% of their body mass, these markers improve. If you get a group of 20-plus people and they are overweight or obese to start off with and they have elevated cholesterol, blood glucose levels, blood pressure, and all 20 of them lose 10% of their body body weight, on average, all of these markers are going to drop. To say that they are completely separate topics 
would be missing the mark just as much as focusing solely on weight. They both go, they both matter. You can improve those markers without weight loss, or you could improve it through a variety of methods involving weight loss. And one of the studies that kind of like blew my mind a little bit, um, the Smiles Trial, you've read the Smiles Trial yet? Um, So Smiles Trial was a, a study on a Mediterranean diet for depression or a modified Mediterranean diet for depression, but they measured blood glucose levels and they measured BMI and a few other things. And it was intentionally a weight neutral approach. It was intentionally an amount of food that people would actually maintain their weight on it specifically because that's going to be a variable in depression. But in that study, they dramatically improved their dietary quality. Like I'm talking like night and day difference, obviously self-reported, we can't trust it to AT, but like they dramatically increased their intake of fruits, vegetables, legumes, whole grains, um, healthy fats in general, whether that's like omega-3s or whether that's stuff like avocado, olive oil, stuff like that, and dramatically reduced their intake of junk food. And their cholesterol just did not change. Their blood pressure just did not change. And that was one of the first studies that really got me thinking in terms of like, I, I've never seen that in a study where people have dropped 5 to 10% or more body weight every single time on average that drops. There can be outliers out there, but as I'm saying, they're not completely separate topics. Anything else you want to touch on from the health perspective? Yeah, no, I think I think you went over it pretty well. I think it's, it's important to note that... <sighs> When you are in a larger body and you have things like diabetes or prediabetes or high cholesterol, any of those kinds of um, metabolic disorders, is that weight loss can have a really dramatic effect on those disorders. I think the issue comes when uh, is weight loss even a realistic goal? Like it could have an amazing effect, but is it actually going to happen? So I'm very torn on this. Like I don't sit strongly in any camp because... I just, yeah, I feel like the pros and cons are very equal at times. And I think that that is going to be the more interesting thing we really want to talk about, where it's kind of like, okay, the health aspect, that is there. Like, it can help from there if it is going to happen. Um, Obviously, there's other reasons people want to lose weight, like literally what's vanity is like one, like like vanity, that's fair. Like, that's fair. Like, it's a, what's the word? Like, it is something you can just want to do. Um, Sporting performance, all these other things. There's a whole bunch of reasons. Um, So going into that, if one of the things is like the success rates, that's always something that's kind of stood out with me. If it's like, if it's somewhere between 80 to 95% of people who lose weight, regain weight, I've always, and like some people make the argument that's like, if it's that high, is it ethical to promote weight loss? And that that kind of thing has always stuck with me because I'm like, well, I do help people with weight loss. I want to be ethical in my way of doing things. Like Mm -hmm. I can't do a professional that I don't feel good about. And it's kind of like, how good does the statistics have to get before it becomes ethical? What if 50% of people who lost weight regain weight? Then suddenly 50% are maintaining this weight loss. And that's a hard thing where it's kind of like, where do you draw a line on this in terms of like, how bad do the statistics have to be? Yeah, 100%. Before it's, yeah, before it's more of an acceptable kind of pursuit and stuff like that. Another thing that I often consider as well is weight loss does not need to be a negative kind of experience. The further down the non-diet rabbit hole you get, the more you start focusing on little details, like you get hungrier as you enter a calorie deficit, you feel more restricted. It is a contact sport, as we said. There are a lot of downsides that come alongside it, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like this is a really bad example, and I hate using it, but something to think about, where it's like, say you're eating at maintenance calories, and that's a super comfortable 
experience. Like that's one of the things like a weight neutral approach often will intentionally kind of be like, well, eating at maintenance calories, having minimal restriction, all these things, it should necess- it should be a good thing, particularly if you're not trying too hard with it. Is there much difference between that and being in a 200 calorie deficit for a short period of time? They're very similar experiences. Um, even though the 200 calorie deficit could actively be dieting, 300 calorie deficit, maybe it's getting a little bit more severe, 400, 500, 600, 700. Like it obviously can get out of hand the further you go. And there's so many ways to do it. Like even a larger calorie deficit, as I've spoken about previously as well, like I think that can be okay for certain situations as well. But the thing I'm getting at is like this context of this where it's kind of like you could put a blanket statement as all dieting is bad, all weight loss approaches are bad, so to speak. But it doesn't have to be a negative experience. And some people also are better suited and some people are worse suited for it as well. As well, I think something to note as well, like in a weight neutral approach – people can still lose weight. Like that could still be an outcome. It's yeah. not necessarily, it's just not, that's not, it's not what you're goal. aiming for. It's not the goal yeah. or the focus. Um, but in changing certain things about your lifestyle, you you, you might lose weight, it you might gain weight, product, you yeah. might maintain. So that's also a part of it as well. Yeah, that's an interesting point too. Um, in terms of another thing that I also consider is like potentially a screening process could make sense. Like either formal or informal, like there's, you would see this as well where it's like there's some people who walk in and they want weight loss and like you instantly are like seeing red flags everywhere and being yes. like, oh, I really don't necessarily want to go down this route. Whereas like there can be some other people who like it's, it's just something comfortable. Like we can talk about experience with like athletes and stuff like that. Like what if, what if I'm working with a powerlifter who has intentionally gone up a weight class for a competition and then they're like, I just want to do my next comp at a lower weight class and say they've got a great relationship with food and all of these kind of things. And it, they've every time they've dieted previously, it's been easy for them. And every time they've moved up a weight class, it's been easy for them. It's never a stressful kind of thing for them. Like that's a really easy scenario where weight loss is suddenly quite acceptable versus somebody who clearly has a history of struggling, right? There's a very big difference. Yeah. And I think that goes into a lot of like the kind of clients we work with. Yeah. And that probably feeds into our approach or our thoughts on this as well is we work with a lot of athletes yeah. and a lot of athletes are okay manipulating their weight and dieting and they don't face any negative consequences in doing so. So I'm not going to be anti-diet for those people, Yeah. but I'm definitely anti-diet for some people that yeah. come through the clinic and go, you look, maybe you're just not the best candidate for weight loss, at least not right now uh, until we yeah. sort out all of these other red flags that we've got going on. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, sharing experiences further, like, something that, like, I used to care about this topic a lot more than I do now, just because, like, experiences have been so good. Like, I, when I first started learning about a non-diet approach and I saw these statistics and stuff like that, I was like, am I working with a ton of people who I'm helping to lose weight and then they are going to regain it? And I actually tracked my statistics for two and a half years. And it's obviously hard, like, we can't accurately do this because, like, what if somebody saw me and then they stopped seeing me? I wouldn't have the data of them two and a half years later. But the statistics were good. Most people were losing weight. Most people were maintaining weight loss. Most people seemed happy from what I can tell. I can't be in their mind. I can't tell exactly what's going on, but it seemed to be pretty good. And then just over time, like I'm now five plus years in this, I can't see my old clients because they were in a previous job or whatever. But like, it seems like most people who lost weight maintained the weight loss, at least over that two and a half year period. And I've now been doing this new role for two and a half years. It seems the same. Um, that's where I'm coming back to that kind of percentages kind of thing where it's kind of, but like the other thing that I did want to touch on that though, and this was actually a point that Fiona Willer brought up to me privately, which like made me think for a very, very long time, which is like, 
what if you're just working with people who are well suited for weight loss? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what we're talking about. Like, and I've thought about it. I'm like, I, I did luck in, particularly in that previous job, I lucked into a situation that was very, very conducive. These people I was working with were more likely than the average to lose weight and maintain it. Same thing with powerlifters and stuff like that who I'm working with now. They are probably more likely than the average person. Um, yeah. And like I work with other dietitians who are definitely more haze approach than I am. And it probably goes to the fact they're working with a lot of people in the eating disorder space and people that struggle with body dissatisfaction. Yeah. So yeah, maybe the haze approach works better for that classification of people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, on to the next topic though, because if, if we're thinking about it and being like, okay, what if somebody does want to go down the route of um, intentional weight loss? What if they do have all of the options They've thought it through and they're like, this is what I want to do. What are some things that we think we should keep in mind? And we can kind of go like one, two on this, like back and forth. Yeah. So I think the, the biggest thing to, to start off with is a focus on how you're going to maintain weight loss post weight loss journey. Yeah. I think that's, we've talked about this before <laughs> quite a few times, but it's an important part of that process that a lot of people just we don't think about. Um, we don't think about that journey post weight loss in order to, to maintain it. Um, so there needs to be more of an emphasis there. Yeah. And like statistically speaking, like most people who attempt to lose weight, they will lose weight at some time in their life. Statistically speaking, the weight loss part is the easier part. Um, on that topic, something I'm pretty passionate about is maintaining exercise throughout the process and post weight loss. I'm a big believer based on the research that I've seen that exercise is not really that useful at all for weight loss in the process. The kind of way I look at it is the average 12 week study where people start exercising three times a week, they might lose like an average of one kilo. Like it's like, it's a lot less than you'd actually expect. But it, it seems to be so strongly linked with maintaining weight loss. People who maintain a high level of exercise or whatever they kind of did on the way down seem to be so, 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 so much more likely to maintain that weight loss. Um, there's one statistic I've seen that's somewhere along the lines of like, if people maintain the same level of exercise they did on the way down after ending the diet, they have a greater than 50% chance of maintaining the weight loss. That's pretty huge too. Yeah. That's a huge statistic. Yeah. And sometimes I question, I'm like, how can these two statistics coexist? How can that exist? And the mm. 80 to 95% kind of number exists. And like, it's a bit of a thing where it's like, well, clearly most people do actually focus more on exercise during the weight loss and they don't maintain that high level post weight loss. Yeah, same with diet as it just all drops off once you hit that goal a lot of the time. Yeah, for sure. And like on that topic, I, I'm also a big believer that you don't necessarily need to love exercise. But if you think about it like this, whatever you do, you, it's got to be something that you like are willing to continue doing long term. Yeah, something I always say is if you can find like if you can find something that you enjoy doing in yeah. any kind of context, like it could be roller skating, it could be anything, then it's going to make it easier to do though. Yeah. So you don't need to love exercise, but I think for sustainability purposes, it makes sense to choose something you're at least semi-interested in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be something you're interested in, something you're willing to continue doing. I, I also just kind of worry about like, well, what if you don't like any exercise? That's also what a if thing. You're, what if you're 25 plus years old and you still haven't found anything? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard one. It's tough. <laughs> yeah. So another huge thing in this space in regards to dieting as well that I see all the time is having a very dichotomous mindset. Things yeah. are very black and white. You're either on your very strict diet or you're not at all and you're kind of blowing out. People that have that black and white dichotomous kind of thinking towards dieting tend to be less successful in actually reaching their goal and then once again in maintaining it. 
So even like that's probably where you see a lot of the people that do really well, they lose a bunch of weight, they're very strict for a period of time, and then once they've reached their goal um, and they're no longer dieting, then they're just kind of, they've gone off the rails yeah. um, because they're not on diet anymore, so they must be off diet. So having some kind of grey area where you exist in is going to help a lot when it comes to weight loss and maintenance. 100%. And like that sounds like... Like, you could be listening to this and be like, oh, that's, like, an opinion or something like that. But, like, that is, like, a common thing in the research. Like, there has been systematic reviews done on people who have maintained long-term weight loss. And it's like, what factors do they have in common? And one of the main factors they have in common is they're not dichotomous thinkers. They're flexible in their approach when, when things don't go perfectly and stuff like that. They're not just off the diet. Like, it's not that black and white. The next thing that is relevant is... Eating more protein can help with satiety. It can also help keep total daily energy expenditure a little bit higher, partly due to the thermic effect of food, but partly due to having more muscle over the long term and increasing basal metabolic rate. This is not a huge one. This is not something that's like, you can't just grab a thousand people, increase their protein intake, and then see where their weight ends up in five years' time and have it on average come out significantly lower. That has actually kind of been studied. And it's like, it is a factor, but it's one of many factors. And it's nowhere near as strong as the one you just mentioned. But it is something that is like in there a little bit and something that is a factor that can help. Yeah. And I mean, your hunger is probably going to adjust over time, depending on whatever kind of variables you decide to change in the dieting process. So that's something. Um, And another thing on that, line of thought is also fiber so we know that increasing fiber intake or having a high fiber intake can also help with satiety it can help you maintain a calorie deficit focusing on a lot of high fiber volume as foods um so that is something that can definitely assist you in in your weight loss journey but again over time that might become less helpful the longer you diet yeah something that i see so obviously and so clearly but i'd never really thought it through until I saw a study that pointed it out in this kind of wording is having a similar weekend intake in comparison to your weekly intake during the week can help significantly with maintaining weight loss. It is a never common theme. And like, that's something that like kind of sucks because it's kind of like how many people kind of look forward to the weekend and having more food and stuff like that. And it's one of, it's out of all of these things. It's one of the variables that like, I kind of least care about. Cause like there's ways around this. Like you can have slightly less calories during the week and slightly more calories in the weekend. That is fine. And you can still maintain weight loss with that. But when you hear it and you think about it, it it's obvious, isn't it? Like yeah. if somebody happened to just eat very similarly on the weekend to how they week during, eat during a weekday, it could make sense that they're weekly calorie intake is going to end up on average a little bit lower and make it easier to maintain weight loss. This is just a variable that makes it easier. It doesn't necessarily mean me saying that's what I think everybody should go and do, (laughs) but it is something that is linked with maintaining weight loss. And I think we forget how large of a percentage of the week the weekend actually is yeah, yeah, too, yeah. <laughs> in terms of calorie Like intake. if you start at Friday evening, like yeah, exactly. it works out to be quite a lot, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Um, and we also know that having support around you is also a really big factor in being able to lose weight and maintain weight. If you're in a household where your friends and family aren't supporting you in that journey or maybe you also live with people who have their own issues with food, that can be really difficult. So yeah. having some support big part of this yeah and that includes like practitioners and stuff like that like dietitians gps whatever like yeah, yeah. having someone to guide you along that process when you're not yeah. really sure you know yeah. what the best road to take is. yeah and accountability too um another thing that 
I find really interesting. It's not really one of my passion projects or anything like that, but like mindful eating. Like if people eat more mindfully, it typically is linked with weight loss maintenance. So like stuff like eating slower, chewing more thoroughly, paying attention to taste, smell and texture of foods, all of those kind of things. And part of where that can help is like even from once again, like a weight neutral perspective and stuff like that is it's like that is the opposite of binge eating. Like that is like you can't binge eat and be mindful eating at the same time. Um, It has a lot of indirect benefits. It's not a necessity. It's not something that is something you need to do to achieve this, but it can indirectly help pretty significantly. Yeah, if you're flexible and mindful of what you're eating, then you're much less likely to overeat on, you know, a number of occasions over the the week and therefore more likely to be at a calorie maintenance level. Um, So I think that is definitely an underrated one for sure. Yeah. Um, and one that you like to talk about all the time is definitely diet breaks when we're yeah. dieting. And I, I've like kind of grown to love this too. And it's something I've implemented in my own practice. And I've had, I've just found it works so well. And just from the, the like just practicing being at maintenance can yeah. help so much. And just kind of knowing what that feels like before you actually get to your goal and try to maintain. You've had so much practice at it during that journey yeah. and I think that's something that's underrated just in our profession in general and something I've, I've kind of grown to love yeah and it also like I feel like I'm going to ramble on about this but like it like it uncovers some stuff as well like what if somebody was 110 kilos and their goal was 85 as an example and we chuck a diet break in there at 95 for example and they find it hard to maintain at 95 it's it can be eye-opening in terms of being like, is is the pursuit of 85 worth it? <laughs> is the pursuit of 85 likely? Is it like, and it gives that chance to practice maintenance, as you said. And like, what if that maintenance doesn't go well at say 95 in that scenario? That suddenly becomes something that's uncovered. It's like, well, we really need to work on this in some way, shape or form. Because otherwise what's going to happen when you get to 85 anyway? Yeah, rather than all kind of unraveling once you reach your goal, yeah. you've had a chance to kind of pick things up and address them along that journey rather than being really overwhelmed at the end of going, crap, how yeah. am I going to maintain this? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So another one that I, I find interesting, but like nutrition knowledge, I think nutrition knowledge can help. There's two sides of this coin. One of them is most people feel like they know what to do, but they just don't do it. That is a common thing I hear from people. It's a common statement. And that is kind of true. Like knowledge isn't the answer. Like it's not the only thing that matters. There are a lot of people with incredible nutrition knowledge who struggle with weight management and stuff like that. So it's like, this isn't the only thing, but it is a thing. It is something that can help. Um, There's a lot of people who don't have as much knowledge as I do on nutrition that I think could be beneficial. Like there's a lot of things that make this whole journey so much easier. And there's a lot of things I I use the line, you can't logic your way out of. Like for example, when we talk about scale weight and stuff like that, but logic can still help. (laughs) Like it can still help. Um, There's a lot of people who stress about stuff that don't need to be stressed about. And like improving nutrition knowledge can help, particularly if somebody's not coming from a great baseline. Like if somebody doesn't understand macronutrients, Learning about macronutrients might help. I'm not saying it will help, but it can help. Yeah, and once again, you're like empowering that person to really take control of their own destiny in a way by just having that little bit of knowledge. Um, And there's also the fact that we know that maintaining your weight for 
just a year is going to improve yeah. your ability to maintain that for the longer term, so five plus years. Yeah. So I think when we're talking about weight maintenance, we should probably talk about maybe there's a phase post weight loss that you're still maybe working with a professional or really kind of striving yeah. for how am I going, like kind of going back to our first point, but how can I do this and maintain this for a year? And then maybe it becomes easier and more intuitive for you after that, but there needs to potentially be a space of time where you're actively, that's your active goal. Yeah. And that like, firstly, like my understanding of that kind of statistic is if you maintain your weight loss for greater than one year, you've got a greater than 50% chance of maintaining it over five years. The odds just, just get stacked in your favor. Imagine mm-hmm. do that and then also add the exercise in and then add all these other things we've talked about. It's like, how good do the odds kind of start getting? It's obviously not that simple, but like that is something to consider. And it's like maybe that, that as you said, that phase post diet is so important, which I agree because it's also like, even just physiologically and just like psychologically, it makes so much sense. Like we know about metabolic adaptation. We know about hunger increasing across the course of a diet. We know about restriction increasing and how you feel. Like imagine just visualizing yourself, just thinking about it in terms of being like, you've dieted for 12 plus weeks, you've been on low calories, you're starting to get pretty hungry, you're starting to get pretty fatigued. You remember what it felt like to feel good and you want to kind of go back to that. Um, And you start missing foods that you previously had in amounts that you had you might be missing certain experiences and stuff like that like what if you were somebody who took a more restrictive approach and you miss out on situations with friends family etc all these kind of things you are now in the position where you want higher calorie food the most not the least the most and the moment you introduce something it kind of like for some people it can kind of make you unleash in terms of like you want food more and more and more once you start having some nice tasting food again um and I, I personally think the one-month period post-diet is the most important and then looking towards that kind of one-year time frame and then after that, it seems to be far more likely to be smooth sailing. Yeah, and, and going back to that really grim weight loss maintenance statistic, like what's the, I guess, the um, the like, likelihood of someone doing all 10 or 11 of these points that we've talked about? Yeah. Like that is probably not happening, but what if... What if people did? Yeah. <laughs> Would that statistic get way better? Yeah. So that that is a key thing because it's like on one thing to consider from for the listeners is kind of like that's the common argument that everybody has and that's an argument I've always had. But then it's also like we the argument in favor of the non-diet approach is or haze is or health at every size is basically we don't see that in research. We've never yes. seen it implemented well in research. There is no study or not many studies without bariatric surgery where people have lost greater than 10% of body weight and maintained it for five years. That's, that study just doesn't exist. <laughs> I guess like, what the better question is in this context is what's the feasibility of doing all 10 or 11 of yeah. those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that kind of more feeds yeah. into the Hayes approach. And like from an individual basis in terms of me working individually with clients, I'm super comfortable because like we can get enough of these things to get these results or whatever. It's just It's just live sample size, big study, having to, when you make a study, you've got to do an intervention to kind of cover everybody. Like a few things seem to start falling apart. You're not going to have that individualized approach. Yeah. It is an interesting one. And and last thing that I wanted to touch on in terms of like weight neutral approaches and stuff like that, that is another interesting question is one downside that's often pointed out is what if somebody loses weight and then they start regaining weight? Firstly thinking what rates do people regain weight at? Obviously it's, individual i'm not even going to attempt to put a number out there but what happens if the weight loss never occurred what if say they didn't take a weight neutral approach say they just continued doing what they were kind of doing 
most people on average continue gaining a certain amount of weight every year anyway. And there is an argument that some people would make that's like, it would be better to lose 20 kilos and regain four per year, for example, or maybe more, I don't know, it doesn't really matter, than it would be for them to have never lost that at all and then just continue gaining four per year in that scenario to start off with. Yeah, but what about chronic yo-yo dieters who lose weight and then regain more yeah. over and over and over again? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. always think about That's another thing well. to consider as well, yeah, 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 yeah. So obviously it's a complex topic because yeah. we don't have like a stance so strongly on it, but I guess, yeah, those are, those are my thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, and that's kind of the point of all of this. Like, there is so many positive aspects as well. Like, there are so many people who would benefit from implementing so many more of the weight neutral kind of approach. And something that I find myself is like, like, I do lean a little bit more towards, if you didn't get catch the vibe, but like a little bit more towards like weight loss being beneficial in some situations, but I do take the good aspects from it. But like, I often find when I'm speaking to people who are very weight centric that I become the polar opposite and I'm thinking like you're yes. overlooking a lot of very important things here from the weight neutral approach from the haze approach and the non-diet approach as well this has been episode 24 of the ideal nutrition podcast thank you for listening mm-hmm.